0: Turn to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. Book of Nehemiah. Now, what's very difficult for me is this: when you start a new book, you have to give the what, the historical content of the book. Otherwise, you're kind of like drop in the middle of nowhere. Well, I'm not. I'm going to give you a very quick, I pray, a quick historical uh, intent of the book, a historical content. But one thing I need to make sure you understand is this: we are not Israel. Okay, we are not Israel. And going to the Old Testament, we still preach the Old Testament. Amen. But we have to understand that I'm not making saying, this is us. It's it's not us. What we're getting from this text are who God is, what he does, and what does he expect his people to do. How many understand that? It's principles. Please understand that. I hope you can understand that. Uh, We are not Israel. We are not ushering in the millennial kingdom jesus does that by the way i don't know how in the world we could ever usher in the millennial kingdom christ is the only one that can fix this right. amen right. let's <laughs> see he's the only one so i can't wait till he gets there and does that and by the way that was the heart of the new testament church was the same way even though, come nor come lord jesus now come lord jesus They were looking forward to it, but as they were looking forward, they were working for him, serving him. But the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a famous cupbearer, cupbearer to a king who never appears in scripture outside of this book. The book recounts selected events of his leadership and therefore was titled after him. Both the Greek Septuagint and the Latin Vulgate named this book Second Ezra. Because Ezra is probably the writer. And both Jewish and Christian traditions recognize Ezra as the author of this book. The events in Nehemiah, and we're going to be just in Nehemiah chapter 1 through 4, is where we're going to be this morning. This is not, I'll just say this, this is not normal for me. We would take like four verses. And you know that in Romans chapter 13, we're going to have the next two or three verses. But this morning is, is a special morning, and therefore we're going here. But we're going to go through that text this morning, 1 through 4. They commenced late in the year of 446 B.C. It's the 20th year of King Xer- Artaxerxes. You all remember him, Artaxerxes. And it goes all the way until uh, Nehemiah's first term as governor of Jerusalem. And that's the first 12 uh, chapters deal with that. So the background to this book is what, what is prompting the coming back? Why is Nehemiah coming back? And the reality is we have to understand that God brought the Assyrians and the Babylons to deliver chastisement and judgment toward Judah and Israel both. In 722 B.C., the Assyrians deported the ten northern tribes and scattered them all over what was known then as the known world. We can find that in 2 Kings. Several centuries later, God used the Babylonians to sack, destroy, and almost basically depopulate all of Jerusalem because Judah had persisted in her unfaithfulness to the covenant. By the way, what a lesson that is. The church is sick today as a whole. Each and every one of us play part in that sickness, whether it's unrecognition of sin or undesire to deal with it, or if it's arrogance and pride, whatever the case case is in our individual lives. All of us have issues that we must deal with and have not totally been surrendered to God as they should god will if you're a child of his he will discipline and here we find that this is the results of the discipline we will see the the carnage eventually god chastened his people with 70 years of captivity in babylon during the jews captivity world empire leadership changed hands from the babylonians to now the, the persians own everything After which Daniel received most of this prophetic revelation in Daniel chapter 6 and Daniel chapter 9 9 through 12. The book of Ezra begins with the decree of Cyrus, a Persian king, to return God's people to Jerusalem to build God's house. We're going to rebuild the temple. And Chronicles, and so literally King Cyrus sends Ezra out to build the temple. And chronicles and uh, chronicles and uh, reestablishment of Judah's national calendar of feasts and sacrifices. So, Zerubbabel and Joshua are in this group, and they go and they they they're fixing the temple from the from the ash heap, if you will. They are reestablishing the national calendar and the feasts and the sacrifices. Those are now, go, they're now started, and they're coming to fruition. And that's what Ezra is about. Esther gives a glimpse of the Jews that were left in Persia. Do you remember the book of Esther? How that God saved Israel through that. When Haman attempted to eliminate the Jewish race and found himself on his own gallows. Again, God's judgment Ezra 7-10 through recounts the second return led by Ezra in 458 B.C. Nehemiah chronicles the third return to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And that's at 445 B.C. At that time in Judah's history, the Persian Empire dominated the entire Near Eastern world. Rebuilding the walls of the conquered cities posed the most glaring threat to the Persians' Central administration: Only a close confidant of the king himself could be trusted for such an operation as rebuilding the walls. And it isn't it interesting? I find it very awesome how God does this. Remember when Israel was in Egypt, and the Egyptians are like, "Yeah, they're our slaves. they make us money, we're good to go. You're not having any of that. Never are you going to leave here." And what does God do? God makes the Egyptians pay (laughs) the Israelites to leave. (laughs) Here's all your all our gold. Just take it, go. That awesome how God works. He does the same thing with Babylon in a sense. Every time they're sent, they're sent with money and, and and soldiers on either sides and letters to give them permission. Just God takes care of everything. Imagine that. He's like sovereign. What? And we see it again and again and again. And here we're going to see it again. Much like Joseph, Esther, and Daniel, he, Nehemiah had attained a significant role in the palace. By the way, does anybody know what the cup bearer does for the king? <laughs> That's not a pleasant job. Oh, you have drink for me. Why don't my cupbearer drink it first to make sure he doesn't die? Not like they did that back then, as the Roman emperors clearly show us they did. Poison and different things. But he he, he had a significant role by God, a position which God could use him to lead the rebuilding of Jerusalem walls in spite of its implications for Persian control. Of that city. There's some other cool facts that you need to know about Nehemiah before we begin. Esther, remember Esther? She was Artaxerxes' stepmother and could have easily influenced him to look favorably on the Jews, especially Nehemiah. Daniel, another one is Daniel's prophetic 70th week began with the decree, rebuild the city issued by Artaxerxes in 445. Third, the Egyptian documents dated the late 5th century B.C. support the account of Nehemiah by mentioning, because we're going to find there's some not-so-nice people that live around Jerusalem that hate them. Samballot, Jehonan, Bigvia, uh, and there's a list that we'll go through. They are mentioned... In Egyptian literature verifying the story. Not that we need it verified, but I'm really, here's the reality. How many understand that there are Bible critics out there who, who who say the Bible is written, you can't believe everything that it says? How many, how many know that they're out there? The reason they're out there is archaeologists tell them that, well, this isn't true, and they, they tweak, they tweak the evidence. And because of those archaeologists, there are men today that they will preach the word and say it's a, it's a fable. It's unbelievable. Finally, Nehemiah and Malachi represent the last of the Old Testament canonical writings, both in terms of time and events that occur. In the time when they were recorded, Ezra. So Nehemiah is saturated with the history of Israel. This is one of their exciting events that took place. So it's, it's saturated with history. But I will argue this morning, and that's not why we're here this morning, but I will argue that it is also wrought with biblical principles and characteristics of God that do not change. Because God does not change. These principles will challenge us in how we too must be like Nehemiah and Israel in these situations. What does God expect? So the obedience of Nehemiah is explicitly referred to throughout the book due to the fact that the book is based on the memoirs of the first accounts of Nehemiah. Ezra was just taking those memoirs and writing them. God worked through the obedience of Nehemiah, however. He also worked through the wrongly motivated Wicked hearts of his enemies. I mean, it's just 70 years later, earlier, sorry, that they were conquered by this people that is now giving them money to rebuild their wall. That's a God thing. Nehemiah's enemies failed, not so much as a result of Nehemiah's successful strategies, he was a poison tester. He wasn't really uh, educated to do that, build walls, but we'll find out why he did and why it was on his heart. God had brought their enemy's plot to nothing, is the attitude, and that'll be found in verse 15 of chapter 4. God used the opposition of Judah's enemies to drive his people to their knees In the same way they had used the favor of Cyrus to return his people to the land, to fund their public, to their building, their project, and to even protect the reconstruction of Jerusalem walls. Not surprisingly, Nehemiah acknowledged the true motive of his strategy to repopulate Jerusalem. And the motive that he constantly relied on and he gives us in chapter 7, this is why Nehemiah went my God put it into my heart. Let me ask you, what has God put on your heart to serve Him? Is it the neighbor next door that needs the Lord or maybe needs some food? Is it the guy at work that needs the Lord or maybe needs some consoling because he just lost his mom? or needs some advice on how to deal with a very ugly situation, then you have the word of God to rely on. He doesn't. How are you serving God? What is God putting it putting into your heart? It was he who accomplished this work, God, it was. Another theme, Nehemiah, as in Ezra, is in opposition. Judah's enemies started rumors that God's people had revolted against Persia to get Persia to fight them. The goal was to intimidate Judah into forestalling the restructure. And there were so many things. They made fun of him. They, They wanted to attack him. They went and gossiped about him. All these things took place. But Nehemiah stood firm because God said, and in the end, I'm going to do this by memory and eventually I'll get it right because I'll have it in my notes here. In the end, God took this poison drinker and built a a two-and-a-half-mile wall six-and-a-half to eight-and-a-half feet wide, 40 feet tall in 52 days. That's a God thing. This is what it looked like today, some of the ruins. Now, that would take me three years. How about you? Just that part. Matter of fact, we have an example of that, right, Mr. Pierce? Build the wall. It takes time, effort. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. How many got a historical idea of what's going on? Very important. Nehemiah chapter 1. And I'm going to highlight things as we go through here because they're extremely important. <clears throat> The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now, I am not Hebrew-minded, so I'm going to get the, all, I mean, there's so many names, they're going to be wrong, but they're going to be sounded out, okay? The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. Now, it happened on the month of Shelve, Shel, cheslev in the 20th year when I was in Susa, the capital, and Hanai, one of my brothers, and some of the men who came, to, came from Judah came. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity about Jerusalem. In other words, hey, you're there, what's going on? They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. I will tell you today, America at one time was at least a moral and religious nation. That has changed. If someone were to say today, can you tell me what is going on in America? It would be the drudge report. Horrible. Wicked. Ungodly. Nehemiah got that news about his hometown. And he said this in verse 4 when i heard these words i sat down and wept and mourned for days and i was what what did he say he was doing fasting and praying before the god of heaven i said in those fastings and prayers i beseech you god O god of heaven the great and awesome god who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, Nehemiah, which I am praying before you now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. Look very very quickly, look what he's saying. He's saying, "Listen, please see the problem." And the problem was caused by us and our sinning. It wasn't, "Lord, look, I can't get back to home. I, please fix it so I can get back, because that's what matters, And that's what's important. He didn't say that. He said, "I realize why I'm not there. Do we realize why America is where it is today? It's because the church has failed. The church has failed. Satan has got free reign without any resistance. He's saying, I recognize the problem. What's the problem? I and my, verse 6, I and my father's house have sinned. Why are we in this mess? We're sinners. Sinners. Do you see the similarities? We acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. By the way, it doesn't say, if you are unfaithful, I will negate my promises. Difference. Do you see that difference? Very important. The covenant that was given to Moses and Abraham was a one-sided covenant. God will restore His people. He will keep His word. There is a future for Israel. That's why Romans 11 is so clear. I have given you the gospel, Gentiles, the church, to make Israel jealous. And if your excitement because of the gospel is expressed... And amen, it should be, amen. How much greater will it be for them? Oof, powerful stuff. But he says, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter the peoples among you. And it's interesting because all of eschatology is talking about, about bringing back all the people to their home. Why? Because they were unfaithful, they were scattered. Verse 9 but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, then those of you who have been scattered were in the most reported, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I've chosen to cause my name to dwell. And where was that for them? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attended to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I as the cupbearer to the king. So here we have a man of God crying and praying for the mess in Jerusalem, pleading that God will hear him and fix the problem, much like us who are crying and praying for the lost souls of our city and the wicked state of our country. Now people will say, well now, I'm just a carpenter. That's what he said. I'm just a cupbearer. I'm just an excavator. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a mail deliverer. I'm just a contract. Put whatever that's in. You are not just that. God wants to use you in that. He placed Nehemiah in a specific place doing a specific thing. And you're gonna find out how much they loved him because here's Artaxerxes, he says, He's going to talk to him here in the next chapter two, and he's going to look at his wife. What can we do for him? They were in this together. They loved him. Why? Because he did a great job of what he was called to do. Amen? How many of you would like to be that Nehemiah for God? Just simply be obedient to him and serve him in the job that he's given you to serve. Because that's exactly what Nehemiah did. I missed my notes here, so I'm going to hit a couple more of you, sorry. Nehemiah says, now I was a cupbearer. We would say, well, I'm just a carpenter. I'm just a Walmart greeter. I'm just a grandpa. Remember this. Chapter 2. And it came about in the month of Nisan... In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been been sad in his presence. That's very important. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Let me ask you, was he crying and praying for his hometown? But he did not make, he did not affect that. It did not affect his job. He was doing his best to say, no, I I I was not sad in his Artaxerxes' presence. This is what he's doing, giving God credit for touching the heart of Artaxerxes. Amen. So the king said to me, verse 2, why is your face sad, though you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. How in the world did he read me? I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? Now, it doesn't say this in the text, so I'm adding this in the line. He took a big gulp, right? <laughs> You're what? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant was found favor before you, send John to Judah. Because he's got a bachelor's in carpentry, he'll do a great job. Is that what he says? Send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? It wasn't even a question. The queen sitting right there, there's a reason he brings the queen into it, right? It's probably like both of them are in agreement with this. Hey, we love you. When, do you. when do you want to go and when are you coming back? In other words, I have faith in you to go and do this. And I'm not even going to, we're not even going to talk about this. We Yeah, you can go. But we love you so much when you're coming back. Let me ask you, does your boss say that in how you work at your job? I will tell you this, if he would, then he trusts you and he'll ask you biblical things. If he doesn't, there's no respect there. How many understand what I'm saying? The king said to me, the queen said, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I gave him a definite time. By the way, you can see right away God has raised this man up to be very detailed. I gave him a definite time. What was Nehemiah's plans? That's what we're talking about in verse 7. Look what the Bible says. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, That he may give me timber to make beams of the great gates of the fortress which is by the temple. For the wall of that city and the house to which I will go." You can almost, okay, because I'm not an emotional guy, it's not really that clear, but it's like he's really excited about this job, right? He's saying, oh, give me this because we're going to go do this, and if I can have a letter from this guy so we can do this, he's just, he is on fire. About getting this job done. Why? Because the Lord put it on his heart. Remember, that's the motivation. So I need some beams. So give me Asaph, the keeper of the forest, so he can bring timber to make beams for the gate for the fortress by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house which I will go. And the king granted them to me, because the good hand of my God was on me. Because I went to college, that's why it happened. No. Because God is with me. He's giving credit to whom? God and God alone. Because that's where it belongs. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. I mean, he didn't just send them. He says, here, you get some of these officers, soldiers, go get them, buddy. (laughs) Who does that? This is their, who does that? Well, God makes that happen. When Sanballat and Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officially heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So, now we have another character into the historical event. These are bad guys. Verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. By the way, the temple is already rebuilt, right? There are people working in it. There are people working everywhere, but the walls aren't being touched. And I arose in the night, and I and a few men with me, and I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So we can guess that what was he riding? A horse or a donkey or something of like that, right? Okay. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well. Onto the refuse gate. You say, What in the world is a dragon's well, a refuse gate? Let me take a couple seconds here. I want to show you this. This is so that what is being X or has a square around it, that is excavation of Nehemiah's wall. Okay, that's part of it there. There's a view of it from from up above. That whole brown is what he would have rebuilt. Okay. And, and, And this isn't like. Go out to the plains and build a hill or build a this is like the temple Mount, and then it drops right off into the into the uh, what's the what's it? say it again the Kidron, thank you, right into the Kidron valley these are nasty hills Jerusalem is what is the highest plain is the highest hill in all of the area, so this is a massive thing now. I put this wrong. Okay, here you can go online and search this but this tells us where all of these places are that he's talking about. Does that make sense? And what's awesome is somebody did this and I, I love him for this because this is next in the text. He not only put uh, where these gates and all that is, but he literally color coded it and showed us what people were working on what part of the, of the wall. It is Fantastic! He did. A, I'm just so thankful because that's what's coming up next, and I just I'm excited about it. So here's here's Nehemiah. He's going and check things out at night when no one is around with his um, horse or donkey, whatever he's riding, and he comes at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, and there was no place for my mount to pass. In other words, it was so destroyed, a horse could not get through it. It was so devastated and and, mm, mutilated, if you will. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and officials, or the rest, look what it says, who did the work. See, their job was come to build the temple, and they were doing that, and they were serving God in that temple. Something else was just as important. That was the wall. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also how about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then, he, then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. But when some and and Heronite and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard it. They mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. The God of heaven will give us success. Amen. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, right or memorial in Jerusalem. So now they start building it, and I'm going to get through this quick. Then Elisha, the high priest, arose with his brothers and priests and built the sheet gate. What? The high priest got out and did some work. They concentrated and hung its doors. They concentrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hanal. Next to him, the men of Jericho built. (laughs) Just think of that. The men of Jericho built. You guys destroyed my walls. And now I'm building your walls. <laughs> next to him, the Jericho built. Next to them, Zakur, the son of Amri, built. Now the sons of Hesanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors and in the bolts and bars. Next to them was Merimoth, the son of Uriah. Ah, the son of Uriah. That should bring a memory to you. The son of Hakak made repairs. And next to him, Meshulam, the son of Berechah, the son of... That guy made repairs. <laughs> and next to him, Zadok, the son of Be'ana, also made repairs. Moreover, next to him was the Techoitites, made repairs. But their nobles did not support the work of their masters. Joadiah, the son of Paseah, Meshulam, the son of Besodia, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors and its bolts and its bars. Next to them, Melotiah the Gibeonite, and Jaden the Mer- Merathite, the men of Gibeon and the men of Mizpah also made repair for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Her. You get what's going on? Do you want me to keep reading? <laughs> we can go through over and over and over and over. These guys are doing this next to these guys, next to those guys, and all these guys are not wall builders. They're God servers. After him, I'm going to get, jump down to 16. There's, there's a ton of these, and I, don't, I hate to miss them all, but we, we are short of time. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Asdok, Asbuk, official half the district of Bezerah, made repairs as far point the tombs of David, and as far as the artificial pool and the house of the mighty men. You can jump down all the way down to 28. Above the horse gate you can read all these people were doing things for the Lord serving him in a way that they thought, you know, how are we going to do this? And it's interesting. Well, we'll get to it. Above the horse gate the the priests carried out repairs. The what? I want to share with you how wicked the church has lapsed. I was talking with a man, a pastor, who is a head of one of the main denominations in our country. And I told him how important it is that all Christians realize that their work is important to the Lord and that they serve the Lord in their occupation. He said this, a lot of them don't become pastors because They can't or won't deal with people's drama. What? What? In one wicked statement, he put the clergy as some pious, overall greatest thing in the world and the lay people as nobodies but just to serve them. That is wicked that is unbiblical in this verse we see that did not happen i'm glad he wasn't there oh i don't want to get my hands dirty oh the priests carried it out after them zadok Verse 32, between the upper room and the corner of the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out repairs. I mean, these guys that work with their intricate hands, they said, God wants us, we're doing it. We're serving God. No matter what we're doing out here, we're serving God. They built the walls. Chapter 4. Now it came when that when Sanballat heard that We were building the wall. He became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, by the way, uh, Sanballat was like the governor of Samaria. What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? They're mocking them, right? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from those dusty rubble, even the burned ones? (laughs) Ha ha! Just mocking them. Verse 4, or verse 3, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he'd break their stone wall down. <laughs> verse 4, Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads, and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do you recognize? I will be honest, and I want you to be honest. If you were serving the Lord on that wall and they came by and started mocking you, is it not true that maybe a pebble or two might have found their way to their head? We get ahead of God. That's not our problem. This is our service. We do our service for God obediently with our heart let God deal with them amen that's what he does do not forgive their iniquity let not their sin be blotted out before you for they have demoralized the builders so we built the wall the whole wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work We as Christians must have a mind to work. Serve God in every aspect. Now when Sambal, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdites, heard their repair walls, they went on and the the breaches began to be closed. They were very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause disturbances in it. But we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up guard beside them day and night. Thus, in Judah, it was said, the strength of the burdens bears is failing. Yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. When the Jews who'd lived near them came and told them to us 10 times, they will come up against us from every place where you may, re- may return. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the place and behind the wall exposed places. And I stationed the people and families with their swords and spears and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight your brothers, your sons. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. When our enemies heard that, it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his what? Work. From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held the spears. So not only did they do it in 52 days, they were fighting a battle at the same time. It's so interesting how he says this. Half of my servants carried the work while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall, those who carried the burdens, took their load with one hand, doing the work, and the other, holding the weapon. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeters stood near me. I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us. Our God will fight for us. So we carried on the work, with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. At that time I said to the people, Let each man with his servant spend the night within Jerusalem, so that they may be guarded for us by night and labor by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard would follow, who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his women and even to the water. Let me ask you, can you see the vision from Nehemiah of what we need to do here in this church? Will people beset us? Absolutely. We will even make horrible mistakes. By the way, this is a hypocritical church just like every other church. We are. We're sinners. But we need to be in each other's hearts. We need to be praying for one another, encouraging one another, correcting one another. I think we get all the other ones kind of right, but that one we never do. We need each other. Listen, how in the world... Did two and a half miles, 40 foot tall, six and a half to eight and a half foot wide. How in the world, in 52 days, did those guys do it without Brian's excavator? How'd they do it? They just obeyed God. They simply obeyed God. And no matter what came against them, what they do? Continued to obey God. All of them worked. All of them served. I will tell you this. If a church would take those principles and understand, God wants me to serve Him. I don't care what it is. I need to serve Him in that capacity. That's what He's called me to do. And I'm going to serve, 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 obey, 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 obey. God will give the increase. We just love serving Him. I tell you what, after you serve God for a while, it's like your joy to serve God. It's like, I can't wait. I tell you what, I can't wait for Sundays. I can't wait for Mondays. Is that the attitude of a Christian? Should it be the attitude of a Christian? I will tell you this if Nehemiah came to his job not anticipating and not exciting to be there, this would never have happened. We serve the Lord in whatever job he's given to us. And then we come together and encourage each other in all those services, right? Keep going. Don't let down. I can help you with that. Listen, I don't. you should... Check yourself about this. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you got to your brother or sister and said, How are you doing spiritually? Has anyone ever asked you that? How many think that's a pretty important question? How is your time with the Lord? How could I pray for you? Okay. We are out of time. <sighs> we just read the text. It's time to start preaching the text. <laughs> but we preach through it. How many understand that? You, we, I, I, I stop because it's so important. How many, because, wow. You, you just look at the, the examples that are set in that whole list of hundreds of people There was one where it says, and their nobles weren't with it. One. Let's not be that one. Let's be a people that are going to work serving our God. Why? For the night's almost done. The day is dawning. I'm going to have Trisha come right now if she will and take your hymn books. Turn with me to 544. 544, and as we go there, I want to say this. The author's a little wrong on this pass in this this song. And I'll tell you this. At the end, when man's work is done, when man works no more, when man's work is over, technically, what they're saying is we will enter the rest of Christ, and that is absolutely true. But I will tell you this. We will forever serve our Lord. Service never ends. Matthew chapter 25. To the one that was faithful in his work on this earth, he doubled it in the millennial kingdom. We will be serving the Lord. Adam in the garden, perfect environment, perfect place. And what was God given him to do? Work. Work is not of the fall. Work is the purpose of all humanity, especially service to God in every vocation that God has called you to, serving Him. It's a lot easier to serve Him than to serve the man, right? Serve Him. Work for the night is coming. Let's stand as we close this morning's service by singing this song, recognizing that the work that will take place in heaven is a joy and a wonderful thing that we will embrace. Work for the night is coming. Work for the night is coming. Work through the morning hours. Work while the dew is sparkling. Work mine springing flowers. Work when the day grows brighter. Work in the glowing sun. Work for the night is coming when man's work is done. Work for the night is coming. Work through the sunny noon. Fill brightest hours with labor, rest comes sure and soon. Give every flying minute something to keep in store. Work for the night is coming when man's work's no more. Work for the night is coming. Under the sunset skies, while their bright tints are glowing, work for daylight flies. Work till the last beam faded, fadeth to shine no more. Work for the night is darkening when man's work is o'er. Folks, according to that passage of Scripture that we just went through, when do we finish working and just waiting for Jesus? Serve, obey, serve, obey, repeat. I will tell you, when you serve the Lord, you will experience true joy and peace that you've never had before. Sunday night, you'll be giddy about serving God Monday. Man. What a concept. Have a great day. Just Mr.